One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Good news for the Tampa Bay Bucks. We have a World Series champion, and we'll give you the latest on the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's all coming up on this edition of the Rick and Tom Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Tom Jones, Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Joe Smith, Lightning beat writer for the Times, will join us on the podcast here in just a little bit. And we'll give you the lowdown on the World Series here in a few minutes. But, Rick, let's start with the Tampa Bay Bucks. You were out of practice on Wednesday. And some good news involving Jameis Winston, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the last two weeks, you know, he has not been able to throw until Friday. And the Bucks really wanted him to practice on Wednesday. They thought his timing was a little off. And uh, he's still sore, but he felt good enough and was out there today throwing. He was limited, but, you know, we saw him um, throw quite a bit just in the 30 minutes or so we were allowed to watch practice. So, um, you know, I talked to Cameron Bright before practice, and he just said, you know, it's important. It's one thing to take the mental reps, but to be able to be out there actually, you know, going against um, what you're going to see against the Saints because Wednesday and Thursday, really heavy day as far as install goes, um, it would be real beneficial. So I guess from that standpoint, looks like Jameis Winston is a go and maybe even a little sharper than he's been the last couple of weeks. You would think he'd be a little bit sharper. And the good news, Rick, is if anything, he could, he could, and I don't know how much this was weighing on him to begin with in terms of just mentally not being able to get out there, but just to, to be able to go out there and throw as early as Wednesday. And if he can go back, go back out there on Thursday and have no problems, no, uh, no leftover at no aftershocks in that, in that wonky shoulder of his, um, then you would think he would, he would go into the weekend probably in the best shape he's been since what, before the Buffalo game. Right. Right. And I, I think it, it's sort of, you know, I mean, after the Buffalo game, I mean, right after that night, in fact, um, you know, the trainers, Bobby Slater and them told, you know, told Jameis that, you know, you're not throwing again next week. You're not throwing until Friday. So there was an understanding that, you know, that that shoulder was was still pretty sore and they, they really didn't want to push it. But for them to be able to, for him to feel good enough and for them to feel good enough about his shoulder, it almost you could almost say that that this is, you know, heading in the right direction, that maybe this injury, this AC sprain um, is actually coming around. I know he's, you know, he's still could take a hit on it obviously and has. Um, but I think that's the best news is that, you know, we, uh, I had written a story earlier this week, like, you know, what, you know, how, how cautious do they want to be with this guy? And as it turns out, you know, at least, at least by today, it looks like he's actually getting better. He gets better, and then it gives him a pretty good chance going into New Orleans on the offensive side of the football. That's really good news. Defensive side of the football, though, Rick, not so much good news because Brent Grimes still not practicing, which leaves his status for Sunday very much in doubt. And there's got to be some real concern now over at One Buck about the the condition of Brent Grimes. Well, he's got a shoulder, too, and I, I, I don't know you know the extent of that injury, but it's the second game he'll miss. He's missed. This will be his third game overall. Um, you know, for various injuries. And, and, you know, Brent is 34 years old. Uh, I think he's in the last year of his contract. Um, you know, you might be seeing the future here with Ryan Smith, who played, you know, much better in his second second time starting. Minnesota was was a disaster. Um, and really, you know, him and, him and Vernon Hargraves had good days. Now, you know, same thing that affected Jameis Winston with the wind, certainly affected Cam Newton. Um, there will be no wind at the Dome. 
uh, you know, in the Mercedes-Benz uh, Superdome. So they're going to have to earn it. But, uh, you know, he, he truly, uh, you know, uh, is somebody they're going to miss, especially against Drew Brees. I mean, you're playing a guy that, you know, has thrown for about 60 billion yards and, um, you know, he's, he's having a good year. He's completing 70% of his passes. I mean, there's so much going well for the Saints right now that have won five in a row. So this will be a much better test for them, and they're, they're definitely going to miss Brent if he can't play. There's uh, there's some good news. Well, you hate to you hate to put it that way. If the Bucks though, if they're looking for something positive, it's that the Saints are beat up a little bit too, particularly on up front on their offensive line. So if there was ever a week where the Bucks might get some sort of pass rush generated, it would be this week against the Saints. And you know, Drew Brees not a terribly mobile quarterback at this point in his career. If they can get to him, Rick, we've seen it work against them in the past. Maybe they can take advantage of a beat up offensive line right now for the Saints. Maybe. I mean, I, I think the the one thing about the Saints and, you know, talk we talked a little bit to Sean Payton today and, and you know, they, you know, their best teams, it, it's been a while. They've gone seven and nine, three years in a row. And, you know, they got off to an 0-2 start. But uh, um, the best thing they're doing right now is is running the football. And, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara, who's a rookie from Tennessee, has come in and, and they're able to check the ball down to him. He's a good receiver as well. They're, they can still push it down the field when they want to, but Drew is getting the benefit of play action. And, and some of the things that they haven't had for a while, really since the Super Bowl years, um, you know, back when Reggie Bush and those guys were humming. So um, this is a very, um, you know, different sort of New Orleans approach than we've seen over the last few years. And if you remember, you know, when Will Golston was out a year ago when they played up there, you know, in that game that they needed to win and lost in, in Week 16 – um, they ran the ball very well there. Now, Will Golston is back, so that should help the Bucks. But they got a lot of field to cover. They got they have to worry about the run. They're going to have to bring some pressure because they're not getting there with their front four. This will be a, a real tricky game. And the thing about the Bucks' defense is, is that you know they're just so up and down. You just you you literally don't know what you're going to get week to week. I mean, they you know give up 19 to the Patriots, 17 to the Panthers, and lose. Then they give up you know 38 to um, you know, Arizona and 30 to, to Buffalo. And, and so, you know, I, I would think that Tom, they're going to have to hold New Orleans to under 24 and have mm-hmm. to score at least 24, 27 points themselves to win. What did you say though? That what, what Raheem Morris used to say about Drew Brees? Yeah, that he's yeah, going to get you right, twenty four points, right? Yeah. Well, I used to say I know two things about Drew Brees: he's going to throw for three hundred yards and three touchdowns, and he's <laughs> done that every time he's played the Bucks, with the exception of um, you know last year when he had just the one touchdown pass. But um, Drew Brees has beaten the Bucks more than any uh, quarterback um, in NFL history, and he's probably played them more as well. Um, but still he's, he's, he's sort of had their number over the years and, um, he's still a tough out at age 37. Well, Rick, I was all excited on Wednesday night to watch game seven of the world series. It's been an absolutely terrific postseason. You go back to the Yankees Astros series was great. And we saw the, the end of the Cubs reign and, of course the Yankees had a, had a really nice run. Red Sox got knocked out early, but this was a really fun postseason and this World Series has been absolutely terrific. There are some people talking about maybe where this ranks among the greatest World Series of all time. So I was all jacked up to sit down and watch Game 7 and it was so anticlimactic. Congratulations to the Houston Astros. It's a great story. I'm not talking about that. The Astros especially with what happened this year with with the city of Houston and the hurricane, Hurricane Harvey. But man, I was really disappointed because Game 7 was kind of a clunker, man. 
Well, all I can say is after such a long, long wait, the baseball fans in Tampa Bay to see a team that plays its home games at Tropicana <laughs> Field win a World Series. Go crazy, Tampa. <laughs> That's true. You know what? I actually talked to those guys when they were here, and I, and and three guys in particular I spent a lot of time around when the Houston Astros played the three games here because their stadium was unavailable during the right after in the aftermath of the hurricane. George Springer, who was the MVP of the World Series, and Dallas Keuchel, who was who's one of their top pitchers, and their manager, A.J. Hinch. And I can tell you, Rick, these three guys were tremendous men. And they talked about the city of Houston at the time. They talked about the hurricane and wanting to help the people of, of Houston. And they also talked about just, just what it meant to be playing baseball. They didn't want to be playing baseball, quite frankly, when they were right. here at the Trop. But, uh, but I came away really impressed with those three guys and, uh, and just how they handled themselves and how they spoke. And so I was happy for them to go on and, and win the World Series. But I was just I was hoping for a better game. This game got out of hand early. It was 5-0 yeah. after, what, the second or third inning. And, and you never had to sense, as much as, you, as this series has been crazy, you never had the sense that the Dodgers were ever going to get enough momentum. They left so many guys on base, Rick, in the well, first yeah. couple of innings. That's actually you say you never had a sense. I thought for all the world that they were, and you know Lance McCullers Jr. right right from here in Tampa started that game, and I I mean after the game he said he didn't think he had much uh, when he was throwing a throw on the side last night, but you could see I, I really thought you know at age twenty four just turned this this month that. The nerves got the best of him. Yeah, I mean, they spotted yeah, they him did. a five-run lead. What did he hit? Nine guys tonight. I mean, I've never seen <laughs> so many hit by. He hit four, I believe. He actually hit four, which is he a hit four World guys. Record, and yeah. and I mean, if he had been in little league, you know, in little league they have a rule that if you hit two, you can't pitch anymore because you're just going to hurt somebody, you know. So they take you out. And I, I literally, I had to stop and remember that. Oh wait a minute, it's the major leagues. They can let him keep pitching. Um, right. But it was. You know, it, there was tension, even though, you know, I mean, with that much time, look, in this World Series, five runs is nothing, you know. Um, but uh, they got it done, and, and it was, yeah, it was a great World Series. Now, you know, set a record for home runs, start there. I still think something was up with the baseballs. I'll, yes. I'll always think that. I, I think, you know, the pitchers, if you watch the pitches that these guys were hitting out, um, they, you know, they were sliders that just spun up there that, that literally were cement mixer type pitches that couldn't break. And it looked like, you know, they were having really trouble, um, you know, getting any kind of bite on, on some of those sliders and things. So for whatever major league baseball did, uh, Rob Manfred and, and you guys, you crazy cuckoo guys up there trying to get more runs in baseball, it worked because this was one hell of a, of a world series. I was talking to Steve Verstick, our producer, before the podcast, and he was saying that I guess the SI jinx is broken now because remember Sports Illustrated came out, it was a couple of years ago, yes. saying your 2017 World Series champion used to. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Astros. So hopefully now that we'll see in the next couple of weeks. I'll the, do you uh, one. Two thousand twenty one World Series champions, the <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, no, that yeah. The 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 Montreal Rays. Congratulations. <laughs> there, there you um, go. I uh I'll do you one better. The guy on the cover, because you think of all the stars they have, of course back then they didn't have many quite as many, but the guy on the cover was George Springer. And he is your MVP of that of that World Series. So they can you just run at, the same cover and save some money. Well, that's true. You look at that Astros team, Rick, and you wonder what the Rays could be because because this is a Houston team. They weren't the Rays have never bottomed out quite the way the Astros did. The Astros had, I think, it was three consecutive hundred loss seasons. Yeah. But here's the thing: what they did, Rick, they really hit it on the draft. They drafted George Springer in the first round. They drafted Car- Carlos Correa first overall. Alex yeah. Bregman was a was a uh, second overall pick. They drafted Lance McCullers. They picked up. They did a really nice job in a draft. And we, you and I, talk about this all the time. This is something you've really hammered on. Is the Rays have really let the draft get away from them? You look at their lineup. You look at their roster now. They can't be the Houston Astros because they're just not hitting it in the draft the way the Astros have. That's right. And I think especially when you're you know Houston has money obviously, but I think especially when you're a small market team that can't afford. Um, you know, to go out in the free agency and do some of the things like like the biggest deal, by the way, Houston did. And I still think this this put them in the World Series and certainly helped them win it, even though he didn't get the win was get the Justin Verlander. I mean, to be able to, to pull that off down the stretch um, really helped them. But um, yeah, the Rays, I mean, I remember covering a draft, if you can believe it, helping to cover a draft because they had like 21 first round picks or something like that. <laughs> and I don't know that any of them made it to the major no, leagues. No, they didn't. And, I mean, it was such a waste that um, maybe that's why good old, was it R.C. Harrison or whatever his name was? Is, uh, was he the scout, scouting I director? I think something yeah, like that. Whoever it was I don't know. isn't here anymore. Whomever yeah. it was is no longer Archie in charge. Harrison, yeah. But it, 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 was, it was abysmal. And you're not, you know, made baseball's tough because, you know, predominantly uh, very often your best players are guys that are 17 years old or 18 years old coming right out of high school. And it's a real mm-hmm. projection. This is not the NBA. It's not the NFL. And I get that. However, um, you can't you can't miss year after year after year. And, and, you know, I mean, if you go back to when the Rays were good and when they really got good, they were a young Houston like team that you would think would have been in several World Series. Um, with Evan Longoria, B.J. Upton, um, you know, David Price, who was just, you know, it was relieving at that point. Um, you know, James Shields. I mean, all the guys we know that were, you know, were young ball players that would have grown up. Um, you expected them to be in, in more of these types of games. And they did make it to some playoffs. But uh, since then, who, who are the guys? Kevin Kiermaier? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you're looking at Blake Snell. I mean, there are some pitchers, obviously. Um, but they just haven't they just haven't hit it very well in the draft. And you look at the Astros now, the Astros and the Dodgers. Now you look at how young they are, and you sit there and think, well, these teams are going to be back for many years to come. We don't know that necessarily. Look at the Chicago Cubs. I mean, they're, they're loaded with young guys too, like Rizzo and that's right, and uh, and Bryant. They Bryant. didn't get back there this. They didn't get back there this year. But uh, boy, that Astros team does seem like a team that could put together a little bit of a run. And the Dodgers too. So do the Dodgers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, with with Bellinger and and um, uh, the shortstop. Um, yeah, Seager, Seager. Yeah, Seager, with guys yeah. like that, and the pitching staff still young enough. I mean, Kershaw's still young enough that he can anchor that staff for a little while. Uh, this this still could be a pretty good team for years to come, and they have the money to spend. Uh, Andrew Friedman go out and spend the money, but it was it was nice to see the Houston Astros, a team that had never won a World Series before, win a World Series. But I just wish, boy, I wish Game Seven could have lived up to like last year's Game Seven. We were really 
Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those great games that you'll talk about forever. This game, anticlimactic, although I'm sure climactic enough for Houston, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Hey, speaking of really good teams, best team in the NHL right now, Tampa Bay Lightning. They host the Rangers on Thursday night. They had a chance to speak with Joe Smith, Lightning beat writer for the Times on the great start Tampa Bay has had. So here's our talk with Joe. Joe, one of the big reasons the Tampa Bay Lightning is off to such a great start is the play of Steven Stamkos. And you and I talked about this before the season. We weren't sure how healthy Stamkos would be coming out of the gate. How healthy is he, and are you surprised he looks as good as he does? Looks like he never left, um, quite frankly. I think I mean, shouldn't be surprised considering what he's done in the past where he's come back from a broken leg and been just the best hockey of his life and come back from the blood clot, the same thing. But to see him and Kucherov play together, he mentioned this before for my podcast, was they might be the best duo in franchise history, them playing together, and obviously the best one in the league right now. And so I think having Kucherov on his line has helped ease him into the season and know he had to put the pressure on to score 10 goals in the first 10 games. He has he could be the playmaker for the first part, and then once the team adjusts to Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, they, both, they could both can score 40-plus goals, I think, in the season. We're probably not totally surprised by the way that uh, Stamkos and Kucherov are both playing. Is there anybody else? That, like, who's been the guy that like you look at on this team and say, wow, this guy's really contributed in a way that they need if they're going to make a, a nice long run this season? I think a guy like Braden Point, Yanni Gord, if you could pick that one line, because yeah. I think you, you need the scores, you need the superstars, like the Stamkos and Kucherov, but that line having... Yanni Gordon, his first full season in the NHL, and, and Braden Point, just his second full season in the NHL, are being basically their number one line as far as taking other teams' top matchups, the Tarasenko's, the Crosby's, and they're producing. They're relentless on the puck with Pallad, and they've been really their most consistent group of forwards right now. And so you need those second and third lines to be those kind of guys if you're going to make it that long of a run. The other big surprise has been the play of Mikhail Sergachev, the guy, of course, picked up from the Montreal Canadiens in a Jonathan Drouin trade. There was some talk, being only 19 years old, Joe, that he would go back to junior again this season. Um, that seems almost silly now that we even <laughs> thought that. It is, and I think it's so funny. The guy has such, he has such so much swag for a 19-year-old, and he said in the camp, I'm not going back. Then he said in nine games, I'm not going back. And right. then... They told him, you get an apartment, kid, you're not going back. And so I think it's just the kid is backing up his, his confidence with his play on the ice is way beyond his years. I think he looks like he's a guy who's been there five, six years in the league in the top four on a Stanley Cup contending team playing on the power play. Like, those are some really pressure-packed situations. And for him to be able to step in with those instincts he has and the skills you mentioned in scoring goals, um, I think even at the 40-game mark, the second, screw the second-round pick, screw yeah, like, yeah. moving closer towards free agency, you want to win the Cup, and the best chance to win the Cup is to have a top-four defenseman like this. You wrote the other day about uh, uh, Andre Vasilevsky's having a terrific year in goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, just your thoughts on Vasilevsky, and, and clearly uh, he looks like a number-one goaltender. Yeah, he told me during before the year, I'm like, kind of more pressure this year for you. He goes, yeah, right pressure, good pressure. He, he, he's wanted this his whole entire life. He had a chance to be his net. No more Ben Bishop in sharing the net with him. And he's he's getting the chance to play 12 or 14 games of workhorse. And he may not have the best goals against the average. He may not have the best save percentage. But he has most wins in the National Hockey League right now. He's making the timely saves when they need it the most to get to this good start. So I think for him, it's got to be an encouraging point for the Lightning to see that they, this guy that they bet big on, right. trading Ben Bishop, making a first-round pick, and, and giving him the net, that he's in really good hands with him going forward. How much, Joe, will they play him this year? Because right now he's on a pace to like play something like 
I don't know, it's probably like 70 games or something. Mm. Do they want him to play that many games? I don't think so. I think in an ideal world, you have him in the 60 to 65 range at the most. I think going into the year, they wanted to play Peter Budai, the veteran backup, at least 20, 25 times. And when I talked to goalie coach Franz John, he said they wanted to get him hot, get him rolling early, give him a lot of games because they wanted to say, him, him to know you're taking charge. This is your net. You're the guy. And I think now that they've done that that first month, right. you'll see Budai play a little bit more, even in nine back-to-back situations like Saturday against Anaheim, because you need to have both of those guys playing in rhythm and fresh if they want to play maybe into into June this year too. How much of a concern should it be that you look up some nights, Joe, and they give up a ton of shots on goal, maybe thirty or more, and then uh, and they'll give up four or five goals some night? Is this a concern for John Cooper? I wouldn't think so. I think if you, the shots can be sometimes a deceiving number. I think you have to look at the quality and grade A scoring yeah. chances, which even on they give up five goals on Monday, they weren't a, a, a ton of really uh, glorious scoring chances like they had in, in Game Two in Sunrise. So I think. The shots on goal can be deceiving more than anything else, but I think obviously they're still recognized or kindness of the fact that they can't give up the many goals. I mean, they could have the offense to score eight <laughs> or nine a game, but they don't want to rely on that night-to-night basis to do that. But I think the overall that's one thing they're really working on is to be tighter defensively. Joe, is this team this good? I mean, they're 10-2-1 right now. They're the best team in the National Hockey League. Is there, are they just on a hot streak, or are they this good, do you think? I think they're this good. I think we thought they'd be this good last year. They had uh, they struggled in the beginning, and they couldn't catch up. But they have the talent here. They have the Sam Kos and Kucherov. You have a number one defenseman in Victor Hedman. You have another growing potential top two defenseman in Sergachev. You have a number one goalie. Like, you know, as long as they stay healthy, why why couldn't they keep continuing to go this further? So I think at this point they can only really beat themselves as far as getting themselves into a, to complacency or saying, hey, we've arrived, we're ready to go, and then all of a sudden take a dip. They could be back to reality here. But they're a really hungry, determined group right now. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Joe, this is the 25th anniversary of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and one of the celebrations that they're having, it's coming up this weekend, is looking back at the 2004 Stanley Cup championship team. You're doing a really cool story for the Times and on TampaBay.com. You sat down and watched Game 7 of that 2004 final with Vinny LeCavier and Jason Cullimore and Ru- Ruslan Fedotenko, who scored the two goals mm-hmm. in that game, and Jay Feaster was the GM. What was the one thing that, that stood out among those guys about that game? Well, they, I think they mentioned how they just had chills watching it and how the, how raw the emotions were, I mean, how many, 13 years later, that they still yeah. remembered everything, and Fedotenko remembered every part of the goal that, that Vinny you know, helped set him up, that play where he made three or four different guys miss, yeah. passed it to him, and he's like, I was cold there in the high slot waiting, best Vinny, best Vinny, best Vinny, you know. And, like, all the details that they remembered, and now they look back and watched, and they realized now how special that was. And so I think, um, overall, a lot, of good, a lot of good memories, a lot of good anecdotes there. And then, obviously, the celebration, seeing, like, Holmar seeing his young daughter on the ice with him in celebration. Now she's 13, 14 years old. And seeing, right, right. Like, how, but uh, it was really fun, and they were really glad that they got to do that with me. The first time a lot of these guys watched it again. It was kind of surprising that they didn't watch it before. Wow, yeah. So look for that story coming up soon on TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks so much, Joe. No problem. Well, thanks everyone for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Rick Tom Podcast, at NFL Stroud, at Tom W. Jones. Thanks to our producer, Steve Verstick. Take care. Next time we talk to you, it'll be a football Friday. We'll get you ready for a big weekend of pigskin, including the Bucks at New Orleans. So be sure to tune in for that. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 